0: High quality is our focus and you know innovation and you know, doing things different. You know, we, we have security solutions here that are kind of being built to meet some of these things. I'm not going to show them or anything. sure. Or show, but um, yeah, there's, there's some great stuff. How I, How do you hire? Oh, you have to hack your way in.
1: Really? All right, what is up, everyone? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I am your host, Charlie Shrem, and you're listening and watching another epic episode of The Charlie Shrem Show, where twice a week together, we get to dive deep with some of Bitcoin and crypto's most influential leaders, OGs, those building out what we're building now, those who truly understand what is going to be happening in the future and the the products and services, and also those who can help us kind of look back on the last few years and realize what were the red flags, where we went wrong, how do we get ready for the next, you know, bull cycles of the future and build out some of these amazing products to truly, truly understand how this movement came to be. And we, we have a lot of fun doing it at the same time. I'm really excited today. Before I introduce my guest, we are joined today by, by Rafael. Hey, say hello, Rafael. Hi, guys. It's my first time on the show, so I'm excited. <laughs> This is Raphael's first time on the show, but he's been writing the show and doing the research for almost, I think, of the whole, almost the whole life of the show uh, over the past three, four years. And he's going to be joining us on whichever episodes he wants to, to kind of jump in, ask some cool questions, offer perspective, and just be another great complimentary addition to the show. So Raphael, we're excited to have you. Super excited to be on the show, Charlie. Thank you so much. Yeah. So we're, so we're going to introduce our guests today. Steve Walbrill. Steve, you're the chief technology officer slash chief security officer at Halborn, a cybersecurity organization specializing in blockchain companies. With over 15 years in cybersecurity, you're an industry expert, trainer, technical leader in pen testing, ethical hacking, web application, all sorts of different things. You've worked with Fortune 500 companies. And recently, I think like a year or two, a year or two ago, you guys raised around 80 or 90 million dollars to take on probably the hardest job in our industry right now. And that comes with the risk of, of everything being on chain. So thanks for, for coming on the show today. Yeah,
0: that, a great responsibility. Thank you, Charlie, for uh, the introduction. It's great to great to be on the show. My first time too, just like uh, Raphael. So. <laughs> oh, a lot of first times today. <laughs> yeah, no, so it's, it, you're right. It's very uh, interesting kind of focus to be in as a cybersecurity company, the experience in the 15 years of cybersecurity was traditional in like large companies. I worked at IBM, I worked at Salesforce, worked at financial companies and security and and DeFi and blockchain and crypto is just completely different. The impact happens a lot faster. It's always public and there's often real money at stake, like up into the hundreds of millions. So you can have one line of code. And there's a lot of pressure on you as a company and the auditors, engineers here, because if, you know, they, if they miss something, then people lose money. <laughs> and also everything is pretty public and transparent. Like our, our reports of the audits, they often go out on Twitter or Medium and you know names are on it and the work is there public. And if there's something missed, which luckily we hardly ever missed, I think we have missed like one bad one, but something we've actually found, they just didn't fix it, won't name names. But, um, yeah, that's like a tremendous amount of pressure too, because, uh, you, you know, the impact is there and it's, and for everybody to see and it's public and like, you just morally feels like, like wrong if you like miss something because people like, you know, their life savings just got stolen by some anonymous attacker. Whereas, you know, in in companies and corporations, you don't really get to see all the behind the scenes. It's confidential and it's kept kind of like privately. And, you know, the impact isn't really direct funds lost most often. It's, regulation compliance and fines and and stuff for like losing credit cards, like PCI or something. So yeah, completely different industry. It's high pressure, but high intensity, high skill level, but extremely fun. (laughs) That's for sure. For uh, if you
1: like getting into this stuff. If we had to like compare web two versus web three and like somehow put a wall between traditional old industry that you're working in and what is now and why in the beginning of the show, I was saying that you have the most important job in our industry right now. Not one of the most, but probably the most important job. I would unbiasedly agree with you. <laughs> and and I think that is is because in the traditional world, your role as like a cybersecurity person is focusing on like how to lower the risk for like the centralized company. Like you said, IBM, Google, Apple, banks. Because at the end of the day, they're the ones absorbing the risk if us as a customer get hacked or if something happens to us, right? Even if money gets stolen from a bank or like, well, actually, I should take a step back because we're seeing a lot of like issues lately with LastPass and stuff like that and a lot of big hackings and things like that. But traditionally, like those companies are on the hook, right? So you know where the the risk is like mitigated to that one location. But in crypto, it's the blockchain itself. It's a whole different realm. The risk is back on the user using it to like make sure they're using a blockchain or a protocol or a bridge that's what been properly audited like where how do they even do that like how do we even do that I don't even know yeah the research that yeah there's first of
0: all like the custodial part of it all where you have to have awareness on the key key management side of it all if you're doing real defi you have to make sure you're not going to lose your private key and you're not going to get fished and give it up you know the custody of the self-sovereignty for, peer, for pure blockchain is on yourself. So you, you're you the bank, you're the one responsible for that. And then the code part of it, like the last pass example you gave, all we really have to go off of most oftentimes is like they have a SOC 2 audit or they have like a, an assessment, they have a, a check mark on their website saying secured, right? <laughs> it's like- yeah. Yeah, I really Remember know, those? DeFi. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Norton secured, all right. Oh, it must be safe, I'll do whatever. Here's all my information. No, you don't, you don't know, so you like trust them And and as a company like LastPass, for example, or any other ones, there that's the responsibility is on them, which is why they get fined and, and have like you know lawsuits or you know, the FBI goes off of them, breach of contract, they get sued. So cybersecurity in DeFi, the code is public, it's transparent, and it's I guess you can kind of say it's the responsibility of you for the code is law, and like, oh, you didn't audit the code? Well, it was right there, the vulnerability, you know, to see to do that. So it's um. Yeah, you know, That's that's an argument that's really subjective, though, but yeah.
1: they rely on us. They rely on us to
0: give the thumbs up. We're, we're the Norton one to give it the
1: okay. I want to like merge a hot topic with what we're talking about right now, and that is like regulation. And you're probably seeing yourself like, what what is regulation involved here? And I've been studying the early days of the internet, and in the early days of the internet, a lot of people were trying to regulate it very heavily, and there was a very healthy pushback against that, and there was very light regulation when it came to that. However... It seems to me that some of the regulations around the early days of the internet actually potentially helped, I'm going to get killed for saying this, but like potentially helped that path forward. And one of the thoughts I was thinking of was wasn't there some sort of like if you were an e-commerce site taking money, you had to have some sort of auditing and pen testing of your PCI, website PCI yep. compliant. PCI. Yes. Yep. What's Hanging the card industry?
0: Yeah. So, so PCI, my belief on it, regulation is not bad. It's bad when regulation is centralized in a single like body or individual. If you make almost like decentralized the, regula- the the regulatory rules, PISA is a great example of that in the TradFi world, because you have where that came from. Is you had Visa, you had MasterCard, you had Amex, you have all these Discover, all these credit card companies, not just a single one saying, hey, people are, are getting hacked and losing the credit cards that we give them and there's just tons of fraud. We're having to do lots of payment you know, redemptions to cover for it. Like you guys got to fix your shit. And it all came together, like, you know as independent competitors to say, we need to come up with a standard uh, that technology providers that take payments need to abide by so that that stops. And I think that's good regulation. You have you kind of decentralized regulation between like an interested set of bodies. Like, and on blockchain, same thing, if, if, if it's a DAO, and all the users agree to a certain principles, or you have multiple parties involved that come up with like requirements or agreed upon framework, set of rules, you know, behavior. And it's not just like a, you know, a dictator or government saying like, you shall not do this. That's, that, that's wrong. So th- that's nothing wrong with regulation if it's done, you know, in the spirit of of decentralization.
1: I wonder if there could be some, some mechanism for that in the future where companies like yourself could take on a new crypto project and offer some sort of like PCI compliance. And therefore, because that's, for me, there's millions of people out there in the world that fully understand crypto that just got burned in centralized exchange bankruptcies right now. But DeFi was the big winner in that. Yes, there are hacks all the time, every single day. But at this end, money is lost. But it's not, usually if there, it's not like, an unfair liquidation or it's not something that went wrong with the protocol itself. It's like there was something that couldn't be seen. So yeah. it's a
0: yeah, it's a transparency. There was no transparency in that because there was no regulation. It was again centralized into one person at you know, like the founder of like Celsius, for yeah. example. And you know, and just not being transparent and you know, really lying about what you know users are doing with funds, or sorry, what, what they're doing with the users' funds. So if there was a policy to do something like uh, a SOX compliant, you know, you know, show your financial statements, mm. do an, a, a financial audit on your reserves. And that was made that, you know, something like that could have been prevented other opinions on just using centralized stuff for decentralized tech. I mean, that, Kind of like backwards
1: <laughs> purpose for me, anyways. It was backward Only. purpose, but it beca- I and I we've talked about it like how it became backward purpose. It's this it's DeFi was amazing, Uniswap was invented, Chainlink gave us Oracles, and we started to have some breakthrough technology about a year, year and a half ago. And then what happened was somehow centralized finance became the killer app for DeFi. And yeah,
0: APY, you know, yeah, you agreed. Know, I- Creed was behind it, I believe. Also, what Celsius had in common with a lot of these other ones too that collapsed is I have a personal opinion because I'm like a purist on like blockchain. And you have proof of work and proof of stake. What is the purpose for proof of stake? Like, what, what is the kind of like the sacrifice you give, like hash power, electricity, payments for proof of work? The sacrifice is you lock your liquidity, you stake it, and you can't use it. And if you do like withdraw it or you don't provide it, like you get slashed sometimes or you know, but your your commitment to the network by staking something in a validator is yeah. what provides consensus. When you have liquid staking, if you're locking it in there, but like, oh well, while it's locked, just uh, I'm actually going to cheat and I'm just going to like invest that anyways and put that here, and you have like staked here, yeah. And, and you know, rather, it's like you're going against again the purpose of like the consensus mechanism double money and double rewards and stuff. So like, that's not going
1: to last. <laughs> it's like trying to stop the flow of water. You just can't, you can't do it. But with uh state, I mean, we can, I love this conversation too. I never understood that, that side of staking where the whole point of like a good monetary network or like a good potentially web three supercomputer is you need just like massive amounts of free flowing liquidity, right. For price discovery and things like that. But the whole consensus mechanism is locking the money up into a proof of stake Type of, of voting uh, yield mechanism, and that's yeah. where kind of DeFi came from. We can't shut on this too much though, because I'm going to lose half my listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's
0: and there's nothing wrong with proof of stake, but I, yeah, I mean, yeah. So I'm just joking. this is, uh, I, I have no I, you know, I have no filter with this stuff too because I have to live you know every day and hey I'll I'll, I'll secure the protocols and I know this stuff, but uh, I understand the financial behind it too because a lot of the security auditing. Is not finding just code flaws it's finding bit like logical flaws in the environment or composability and you have to understand you know being a, an auditor in DeFi, you've got to understand the Fi part a lot in order to do an effective job you know if you don't know about yield and you don't know about lending and borrowing or oracles or insurance like how are you going to find risks like flash loans if uh, you don't know about liquidity available and you know, slippage, like you got to know finance and stuff. That's another difference in, in blockchain hacking compared to TradFi, you know. You know you, so, yeah, with the with the proof of stake, there's nothing wrong with that at all. I think it's a great solution towards, you know, some of the concerns with like maybe electricity. Yeah, uh, yeah. Is, uh, but liquid staking, here's an untold story. <laughs> if you want to hear, last year, uh, I went to ETH Paris and I okay. did a talk and I get a talk, to a uh, group of individuals it was the blo- uh, blockchain bridge uh, uh, cross chain builders community so maybe there's some people listening right now from there or even at that is it a spot.
1: formal association the, the block ch- the cross chain builders community it might have been there's a lot of people there, are obviously okay.
0: there you know deep d bridge lots of lots of individuals and a lot Wormhole of finance
1: clients. type companies like where you yes. can okay
0: yep 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 exactly you know we the ones that like how do, how do you build cross chain bridges like Polkadot to Ethereum, Ethereum. Whole
1: nother conversation, yeah.
0: Whole nother conversation, yeah. And I was like, okay, well, a lot of them are our clients because we do work for Solana. We do Ethereum, we do Avalanche. Like all of them are our customers. I'm like, I don't want to go shit on any of them and talk about vulnerabilities and saying that. What can I do that's valuable? It's not shilling. And I did a talk on, for everybody, it was cross-chain liquid staking risks and comparing it to the 2008 financial crisis. Oh, wow. And looking at some of the common patterns for it. To send a message. And I started by saying, You ever see Jurassic Park before? Of course, like, yeah. okay. So you remember when Malcolm, the guy, Ian, you know, he says our engineers were so focused on seeing if they could do something that they didn't stop to think that they should. I started with that. And as we're all trying to like build this cross things and liquid sticking here and locking it there and making a wrapped version of this, and then take the wrapped version derivative and put it in there, like and you have this like layers and layers and layers of complex risk. And what happens if like during times of volatility or some type of hack or some type of flaw, one of those areas and layers breaks, what happens? you either like completely like lock yourself out from redemption on, you know, redeeming that or getting the native token back, or you essentially, have like double money (laughs) (laughs) because you have, let's just say Ethereum, for example, you have Ethereum locked in there in the validator, then you have. Liquid staked Ethereum or uh, uh, whatever. Put that and say I want to do cross chain for that. And you now you put it in a vault on a bridge, and then you get the wrapped version of the state thing here on the other side. And then you're taking that and you're putting it into a DeFi protocol that is earning like yield for it. Now, you're like you're six
1: layers deep now. <laughs> And then if you were CeFi, you were using billions of dollars of that wrapped asset as collateral to borrow against that for Bitcoin. Exactly. <laughs> so it's was no
0: surprise. Like, what's that, what happened? 2008 financial collapse, the same exact thing. They are doing that. If you ever see, like, the big short, like, Michael Burry is, is – I know Michael Burry, and I, I know people that, like, went through that stuff. And, like, the same oh, signs were there. Yeah. So you had have, you have, uh, mortgage loans, and then they take those mortgage loans and combine it with other ones, and then – you would make a derivative, like lock it inside of a mortgage-backed security, and then you would take that mortgage-backed security, and then you make a CDO, which is like a certificate debt obligation. And then you would sell that to somebody that doesn't really know what, what that's made up of. And then when there's volatility, they have to redeem it. They, you know, same, same exact pattern
1: you know happened there. 2022 wasn't our dot-com moment. It was our 2008 moment. <laughs>
0: yeah, that is, you are you're correct yeah correct but it 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 could have been worse and so that that whole story of that presentation was like a a message like a, a message like a warning like think about what we're doing like i'm here to do security because i want this industry to succeed like i'm a, I, I i love decentralization i love like pure capitalism pure democracy and you know transparency you know, and that's all what this what we're trying to yeah. really do here so if we are not doing the whole reasons why like we're all together as a community in this, what's the point? You know, I don't
1: know if that's too deep for you. <laughs> no, no. You're, I mean, you're, it's a. I I often find myself like answering you in my head and then getting into these like conversations, just like tangents. sometimes. Like I get lost in these like deep thoughts because I often ask myself and I get frustrated when on some of these like uh, investment meetings or like, pitches from Web3 companies where I often find myself asking that same question, like, what's the point? What's the point of what you're doing? I'm a decentralization maximalist and I preach it very heavily. Decentralization is a path and it's a scale and it takes time to get there and you could be very transparent. Many blockchains have launched and actually have written blog posts titled The Path to Our Decentralization and things like that. And I'm a big, big fan and proponent of that because if you focus on that, but a lot of the times And you kind of alluded to it, right? One of your jobs is not finding just technical stuff. It's like finding the failure choke points, if you will, right? Like at the end of the day, you can have this fully decentralized blockchain, but the private keys for everything of the admin key are held by two people in, doesn't matter where.
0: (laughs) Multi-sig, yeah. Now, those are security is, uh, you have to look at the whole picture all the way from the user. Like, is there a user vulnerability? Is there a technical vulnerability? Is there a business logic vulnerability? Is there a compliance vulnerability? Like now, like all of a sudden, some government uh, law comes out and your whole project is now like shut down and illegal. Like there's all these layers you have to think about. It's all based on risk, uh, risk management. Like what's the level of risk and what is your risk appetite? And when you agree to a certain level as a developer, you know, you accept the risk. That means it's, hey, it's worth, it's worth it to, to put it out there for, for whatever reason. Like, hey, is the finding is gonna take way too much to fix, or we have to start over again. It's like low probability of happening. Let's go, let's go launch it on the blockchain. Oh shit, it got hacked immediately. <laughs> yep. You know, so risk acceptance. Is, yeah, it's yeah, it's not black or white being in screen.
1: I'm just I'm just writing another question here, Dabba. Why why should I have to accept that risk? I don't wanna have that to, to do that risk. I wanna go. I want to go yield farming, man. I want to go right now on beefy finance and I want to have some fun. I want to start like wrapping crypto assets and, and doing different liquidity pools and go on Uniswap and find projects that I want to support and then add to the liquidity pools. Like I want to do all these things, but I just yeah. can't trust any of these protocols. I'm scared. And I'm not just speaking for myself. I feel like I'm speaking for everyone here. There has to be a way for us to comfortably use these protocols or trust the language in which they're written or trust the blockchains on which they're launched some like, what's the solution? Yeah. So
0: you're tying, tying this back to a question that you asked earlier about like a company like Halborn to make, you know, what's the verified blue check mark for DeFi smart contract. And I'll, I'll like state my own opinions on that too. Like I wouldn't want Halborn to be the only authority of this is secure and you know I am going to give you I'm the, the deliverer of blue check marks yeah. on what's validated or not verified. It should be you know maybe multiple security companies together have a agreed upon framework, and the contracts have to go through like Have you done a, uh, a third party audit? Have you done third scan? <laughs> have you tested it on a test net first? Have like there's just certain things that will every time you meet one of those you're reducing the possible risk.
1: There's a blockchain solution to that. Form a DAO, put a billion dollars in it, and the DAO could be a decentralized group of hackers that are essentially doing the work. And once they certify, if something happens to that protocol, that money is used—some sort of like reinsurance fund.
0: Yeah. So there are there are some projects I know of that are, are doing that right now. Is they're linking insurance to actually like you know so decentralized insurance, not next Mutual, but uh, like Fairside, for example. It's up to the community to decide. Hey, this Project was hacked. There's a certain amount of like coverage available to provide to those that paid for the policy of premium in it. And the community decides is this, you know, should this be paid out or not? Is it a fair hack? Or is this like a a rug pull and the people are just trying to like do essentially fraud on it? That's kind of decentralizing the insurance part of it. For the security hacker part of it, you know, things here, there's one thing, core principles, not just with DeFi, but with every security. Is there's no such thing as complete security. There's no guarantee of
1: security. Yeah, yeah.
0: All you can do is take the enough due diligence and enough steps and assurances to reduce risk to an acceptable level. And the risk acceptance is like up to the users. Like if you want to YOLO on Dog Coins all day, that you just got put on Uniswap LPs and put all your money in there because you know some guy on Discord told you it was awesome. Yeah, do it if you're if you accept that risk.
1: I'm a big fan of like fireproof doors. There has to be some sort of like solution to that. Like you said, locking people out. And we don't need to go too deep into that. You were actually talking before we started the show here because you were just out of a meeting. And thanks for coming out of that meeting to start this show. I feel like that meeting was kind of more important than doing the show. But you guys were building a vulnerability calculator. Oh,
0: I have that's 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 a that's a day job. This is like tons of meetings like here. <laughs> yeah, but Halborn has like so many amazing engineers that like with like a surplus of ideas. And yeah, that's why why we probably raise such amount of capital. is like we just have you know, high quality is our focus and you know, innovation and you know, doing things different. Yeah, you know, we we have security solutions here that are kind of being built to meet some of these things. I'm not gonna show them or anything Sure. Too, but um, yeah, there's there's some great stuff. How include this? I, how do you hire? Oh, you have to hack your way in.
1: Really? Yeah. What do you mean?
0: So, you know, not including like back office or project managers, or, you know, HR type, you know, normal normal functions, but for a security engineer or auditor, advisor, pen tester, we have pre-made custom vulnerable smart contracts and protocols that we have on our GitHub. And the first step, if you want a job here, is you go to the site, you hack it, you write your report, and submit it. Then we, you know, our, lead, our uh, kind of like engineering leads review the reports on submissions and look for quality and benefits. It looks pretty good. We do a first interview with them in person. We have a couple like, hey, did you cheat? I can tell somebody cheated like within three seconds. Uh,
1: how? And, how do you? How uh, can you tell?
0: Oh, there's like, you know, there's pointed questions that, you know, sometimes we'll have them like do the exploit in front of us, like on a screen share. Sometimes we'll ask them questions that like are like hidden Easter eggs on like, yeah, how how do you arrive at this, you know, uh, problem? And if if they don't say a certain thing, then we know that they just copied it, you know, kind of like, or sometimes I could tell they cheated because I asked a question and they're wearing glasses and I can see the Google like, you know, <laughs> reflection. Oh, in their no glasses. way. <laughs>
1: Is it is it is it true that like some coders prefer like double spacing and then there's another system, like method to to writing code too?
0: Yeah, there's uh it's an art, you know, coding, coding and, and security testing is is
1: an art form. Everybody has their my own. My lawyer it. hates double spacing too. He often tells me about it. And A that, lot of people
0: hate black backgrounds on reports, and ours is black instead of white. Oh no, <laughs> that's adjust my eyes to that. Yeah. Black is cool. I mean, because most hackers are, you know, doing it at nighttime like me right
1: (laughs) what what are what have been over over 2022 the most common is there a common denominator when it comes to like hacks that have hacks on a protocol or blockchain level that have lost people money like in the tens or hundreds of millions yeah the ones that are like the the most common reason why like
0: last year is bridges and vaults you know so the area Okay, if you're a ha- if you're like a bank robber, are you gonna go to the bank and steal the millions, or are you gonna like pickpocket like five bucks from everybody in a wallet? You know, you're gonna go to where like the money is. So first of all, it's a high-profile target. These bridges, and then second is they're super complicated. And you know, something like wormhole, for example, or like you know these, any anything that is a yeah. junction uh, that's holding liquidity with high complex logic sometimes has flawed and that's where we see uh, the the biggest, you know, hacks. Or it's uh, some way of like key theft of uh, finding a flaw, like, you know, the Ronin attack, uh, you have a, um, layer two network and they left us a web two vulnerability, like the valid, the validators on that layer two bridge system. They were left, a uh, you know, something open, a vulnerability open on the systems and the, the keys were able to be stolen from that. and. It was like a four uh seven threshold or something. And then like, oh, well, I got all the keys from this vulnerability. Now I'm now on the validator. So it's all just com- complex issues of centralization or complex issues of uh bridges with uh, high amounts of too movement.
1: much like putting financial logic into code because financial logic is is involves like Socioeconomics and you can't predict human yes. behavior. Impossible. Right. We saw it with Luna Terra. You can't if FTX. Yep. You can't predict human behavior, especially bank runs.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like the, there's um, well, like flash loans for example. Like you can't really oh. test flash loans. You can just look at yeah. indicators of is there enough liquidity available? You know, at the time is uh, if it's like I don't know, governance token like. What's your vote threshold, <laughs> and can you borrow enough against that to become you know, the, the majority vote? I mean, this is all conditional. Under collateralized
1: lending, things like that too. Yes, I can't yep, even exactly. fathom that. So that's all like on the smart contract level. Going back to to like the baby and the beauty that I love of Bitcoin, there have been a lot of talks about. Obviously, quantum computing has been talked about forever. I'm a Bitcoin maxi, by the way, too. Oh, I'm a, a decentralization maximalist. But Bitcoin is just the farthest along. And also, like, I'm a I'm not a permable on anything else. But Bitcoin is my legacy. I've been in this, you know, space for over 10 years. So I I, I just, it's why I got I named, era. Um, awesome era, our boat Satoshi. And probably our kid will be named Satoshi or whatever one day. <laughs> but SHA-256, the encryption around that. I always understood that... Oh my God, we're really gonna get deep here for a second. Oh
0: no, no, I, I teach this in my. In okay. Because this is something that freaked hard. me
1: out. I was losing sleep. I about know what this. you're gonna
0: ask. I'm excited for you to ask it. So
1: I've been losing sleep about this recently, is because I always, one of my favorite things, and you could see my nerd come out of me, is that I would go to sleep at night by like just taking a big number and trying to like break it down to its lowest primes and fall asleep halfway through, you know? It's so stupid, but it's, it's, it's whatever, it's fun. I always understood like the basis, the basic, basic, basic fundamental of all encryption, everything from our password to proof of work. It all comes back to like physics and it comes back to math and that we can predict how fast our brains and we can predict how fast computers can break a very large prime number down to its down to its lowest primes. And that's why like brute forcing and all these different things. But I read recently that now that is even in question. The ability for us to predict that priming numbers is maybe not random. I don't know. I'm freaking out. Would you, uh, can I share, can I share with you the screen and I'll go through the math with you to make you feel better? Please, how do we share the screen here? Yes, you can share. I
0: know know how to do it. I'm just bringing up, I want to bring up the slide. So this is what I want to show you to, hopefully it makes you sleep better at night and make you even more. So, so I wrote five books on blockchain security. For a company called SANS, and I teach corporations, uh, security people wanting to learn about blockchain security. And this is one of the topics I, I write in the just the, the fundamentals the first day. And it's one of these things like the assumptions on the, the security of the SHA-256 hash, which is on here, and looking at math. So essentially, the question is like, will quantum computing ever break you know, Bitcoin or you know, break the the hash of the you know get it a set, the objective get a private key from a public key you know reversing that and stealing key. Quantum computers right now the one of the top ones that uh, that exists today is 64 qubits. That's how they measure it. And um, how much how strong is that? What what can that do with 64 qubits? To break SHA two fifty six, it would take one point one times ten to the 57th years to find the private key for that. To actually break, it, you need 3,000 qubits. And how big is that number? Like how big is, is two, 256 to, to the power of 256? It's like SHA-256 means like 256 binaries. So like zero and ones in a string of them. So it's like flipping a coin you know, 256 times and documenting that and then reproducing it again. It would take that long and that number is so massive. It's almost identical to the number of atoms that exists in the universe. So wow. that means that there could be there could be an individual private key pair on that on that elliptic curve, uh, you know, that that makes the the asymmetric key generation. Every atom could have its own wallet or private key essentially and still be unique. And you you're making me a
1: little emotional here because one of the last things that Satoshi talked about was that, and he actually specifically said that there are enough private keys for every star in the universe. Yes. I have to look up that exact quote. Hey Rafael, if you could look up that exact quote. I know it's there, but Satoshi talked about that. Check out nakamotoinstitute.org is a great resource for just like checking out all yeah. Satoshi quotes and writings and stuff like that. So
0: and, and here's the thing too with there's a couple algorithms that can like make it easier like um if you do some side channel type of, of you know the key generation process if there's weak randomization in the way it's is doing this or... Like that, that can do issues here. But um yeah. the thing is with, with Bitcoin and, and SHA26, the hash, this is the same technology that the internet security is built on, anyways. Like a public-private key is the same thing as a browser and a public certificate on a website. You know, the the data in transit that's protected, like, oh your 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 password is protected on our site when you send it to us. It's using asymmetric cryptography or, you know, a public and a private key in order to to secure that. So if they break Bitcoin, it's going to break the entire internet security as we know it.
1: You know, this is really is so cool. Thank you for... Now, you know what you just did too? A lot of listeners who weren't watching the show are now going to go and check out the YouTube now because they want to see that, that slide. You don't seem like a person who... Uh, who talks about problems without being able to theorize a solution.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't uh, like to, you know, I don't like bullshit, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, I like to do, I always use data to back up my assumptions. Um, sometimes you can say like conspiracy theorists or, you know, whatever, but I, I I just use logic and judgment based on facts and data. That's that's what I do. And, you know, hyper-focused on, you know, security and technology and and, and blockchain and, so it's you know it's a passion of mine here, and I don't also don't like to really like what's the purpose for. I think about purpose and and and, and use and just value for for everything. It's uh, it's like my approach on life. I also know what what I don't what I don't know about either. Too like a, like I don't know about sports or anything. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's actually you you I was never a big sports fan either until until like COVID started. Do you ever see the movie Moneyball? Mm-mm. Money, but I know it is, but it, yeah, there's the mathematics like and baseball. Yeah, there's a lot of enjoyment in watching sports and then kind of studying the, the math behind it in real time, not to yeah. fully geek out on you. So you're gonna put me down a new rabbit hole. I can't speak as much detail on that as, as, as uh, especially sure with the are. NFL, like, especially with football. Like, I've been doing that, re- it's a lot of fun, especially live sports too. There's a lot of like common denominators in like being able to just like follow, even following like what my brother-in-law does is he follows like all the players on Instagram and TikTok and things like that. And he can kind of predict how players Fancy are going to perform.
0: Fantasy football kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, where, but like, he
1: doesn't bet yeah. on it. It's more for himself because he loves the Steelers. The football team structure at, at Halborn, like our
0: internal engineering team, you know, we, you asked about how we hire and like, there's like a challenge to get in here because again, high quality. Yeah. We want you know, the brother the, rather have like, the people that are the the best and uh, you know quality over quantity, I guess you could say, rather than, than just numbers. But we internal here we gamify it. Like our culture is proof of work. That's what we call it. And it's all about not time. Like how when are you clocking in, clocking out? How much time did you take? You know, how many hours did you do? We don't charge by hours. It's all about results. And it's I love that you know it's hash power and like the the results of the work, like the proof of the work. Um, if you're a good, if you're a good hacker or a good you know, security developer or anything, you'll be able to hack it in like five seconds, right? Yeah. And uh, somebody not as good would take like all week. So why are you going to measure and charge by, by time? It's by hash power. So that's how we operate here. And then we structure it like a football team. So that's how you remind me here. It's people working the team oh. in the football team. <laughs> yeah. Football teams have like offensive coordinator and you have like the head coach and then you have special teams or special players. Like the kicker and there's a, there's a trainer for that and a trainer for that. And then the head coach. So like we do the same thing. Like we have internal, our management structure is all like yeah. technical leadership and protocols and like they lead teams that way.
1: You're a sports fan and you don't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's competitive I think. That's what yeah. it is, like they, that's what wins. <laughs> Are any of your teams working on some of these like solutions though? Going back to to earlier in the show, like building, building cross chain bridges for example, this is one of the things that I'll start talking about with someone, but very quickly get frustrated because I just don't see conceivably how it can be done. But being able yep. to, to connect something like a UTXO Bitcoin model with like the EVM account model, which seems to be the way almost every blockchain is being launched nowadays or protocols, either one of the two. Yeah, they
0: always try to
1: get be like a Ethereum network. Yeah, bridge. yeah. But what,
0: so I mean, like, what's... So it's not wrapped. It's not like wrapped. No, in, it's not uh, wrapped. I don't like that. Security checkpointing? Yeah, so this is my solution. I'll say like our take on it. Um, so I and a couple other engineers at, at Halborn have patents for this stuff too. That This is how unique it is. For Ethereum specifically, only Ethereum, uh, not, not Bitcoin yet because it's smart contract driven. Right now, the solution that everybody uses to like protect keys and stuff is like multi-sig wallets, right? Like yeah. that's a big part of it. Like, okay, well, which I don't think that's a security solution at all because it's like some guys Firefox browser and Chrome browser. Now it's again like the same thing where you don't know. And then like you know, the could be matured. So what what we've done is we don't want to the security solution should be decentralized. It should be um non-custodial. You know, it shouldn't be like lock it up inside of a server and some centralized person tells you to take it out to do it. So we have something called Serif and Serif is a smart contract native solution and non-custodial that is doing on-chain uh, notary. And what, what that means is when a function, you know, it lives in the contract as like kind of a wrapper, uh, you know, just like you have only owner. It's like, Oh, only the owner account can do this okay. or for Gnosis multi say like two of three has met. So it's like a function condition. It's, um, has this function been approved by a notary? And it um is, so if it's covered there, it'll go and check the state. Um and, and the notaries can be Halborn, it could be a assigned notary, it could be like an investor, it could be a DAO, and the they decide uh when a function is one protected, and if the function um meets uh, if it's there's a certain threshold, like maybe beyond a million uh, liquidity, it'll trigger a notarization request. Uh, if it's under that, then it'll just like be executed. So there's like r- predetermined rules and logic that will have a notary, a de- you know, decentralized de- de- notary. So it's not like a key that approves that contract. It's separate. How is it not a key that, a- that approves the contract though? The, the key, uh, it, so the key to approving the contract is actually approving a transaction. Think of it as a transaction level audit, uh, essentially. So instead of the whole thing going on chain and then that's it, that's that's the final version. You know what? Why don't I why don't I show you an example again? I'll just yeah, I'll show you but
1: can't one. the can't the notary have the power to stop a transaction? I seriously the transaction has already started. They, they can, yeah, but they they can do it. Um, but there's a there's a certain just like transparent code,
0: there's a transparent run book ah. uh, rule, you know. So like if there's a withdrawal for a billion dollars from an LP and it then it gets the notary they, they they you can simulate it kind of like uh um in a sandbox environment test it like oh why is this going to like tornado cash all right this is not you know supposed to happen it's not following the rules it's breaking the logic of what's expected for us Uh, then they uh, they don't approve it and then just reverts and that's only done on certain
1: predetermined rules in the contract it's 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 due process on chain in a way because you can almost like create these notaries as like court justice systems and, and if you like appeals or like there could be an, an appellate system, you know, system for it. Like, I don't know. This could be very interesting.
0: Yep. So here's a, here's an example.
1: You're really making the listeners having FOMO right now because like, they can't see this shit.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hope so. So this is um see if I can correct my. So we have one here, Halborn, show off NFT. This is our contract. So I'm kind of like walking you through it. Yeah. And this is a it's our NFT token creation for uh, making our we we have these like NFTs for not to sell, um for finding vulnerabilities, like a the MetaMask bone goes on chain and it gets put into our like our metaverse to see all the details on it. Oh uh, cool. Um, yeah, I can show you that too. Is that how you like,
1: like is that for your for your team members, like to, to prove results and things like that?
0: Yep. And also for you know, I like. I like metaverse stuff here. We have I got to introduce
1: room. you to two of our portfolio companies. One called Meta Intro that's building out a Web3 reputation resume wallet. And also another company called WeFuzz that's uh, building out a decentralized pen testing universe. Some cool, really cool stuff. Happen. This is my favorite topic.
0: Yeah, I did, I did all the artwork on this too. I, I, I'm like, love Photoshop and music making. So here's like a, a an NFT that's the MetaMask vulnerability we found. And it's like on you know all the data around it. If you want to like learn about it and see, and it's like a trophy, you know, for you know finding and just you know ethically disclosing that. Wow! Anyway, so we we use the contract to mint that. It's this one here, the Halborn Hall of Fame token. NFTs have um, so
1: much utility. Like even your college degree and things like that will eventually become an NFT. Yeah,
0: I I really I care about utility. That's like number one thing for me. And on what the purpose again for for all of it. So back to like the the solution here. Now, if you like, look at the contract code. There's um, serif protected, is in library. Just like you know, reentrancy guard or any of these other ones here. There's functions that uh. will live on the contract to, to say to go check serif, and I'll, and I'll walk through it to give you an example.
1: So any smart contract can have a serif protected module in in, in every in, function. Every in function, contract. and then therefore. Yeah. They can so even say, like, we're Serif protected. And that could be, like, similar to that PCI compliance that we've been talking to.
0: Exactly right here. Yes, and it's and it's transparent. So there's three functions on this contract that are protected. The burn function, and I'll, I'll show this to you on the, the dashboard, the, changing the ma- metadata and transferring the ownership. So back to Serif, this contract, here's those three functions right here that are covered. And oh. um, and only the user can, when, when it gets called, so, like, change metadata is one of the ones that I, uh, we you know, did a test on it for recently. Uh, here's a transaction you can see it was rejected, right? Now, why was it rejected? There's rules on this metadata to say, if the metadata changes to something that's not about the vulnerability, or there's bad words on it or something, then we need to reject it because it's not, it's not properly formatted metadata. If we look at this call, it gets kind of put in cache, held there in state until approved. And we could see what's the metadata changing. It's the Howard Hall of Fame. is the collection of shitty NFTs. Yeah.
1: Hey, going, going back to look. like the first and one of the largest and like ingrained in crypto history, the first DAO hack back in like 2000, I think 16 it was. This could have prevented that because the hacker... Yeah, absolutely. How? Like what happened there?
0: The DAO hack was a uh, split call. Like somebody wanted to take their funds out of the crowdfunding of the DAO hack. Um, They didn't agree with the proposal of the DAO. And the way that's done in the the logic of the code was it would make a child contract, take the funds, put it inside of that contract, burn the tokens that were in the original one, and then the user would be able to withdraw it. But they did it in the incorrect order. And there was a re-entrancy vulnerability where it would split send the tokens into that guy's contract, and then he would be able to re-enter that to like take out more tokens again and keep like looping through it rather than, like, they should have burned the tokens first and then put it in the contract. That could have prevented it because you could have Seraph approve every like split or every like proposal to make sure that it's not re-entering a contract or not withdrawing more than they're allowed and kind of uh, have that be done. So now this is all, you know, the the, the decision to reject is done Um, not, we don't have a key to the NFT contract, you know, the developers or users do, all we have the key for is to approve or reject.
1: You need to like show this to, to regulators because this could be how they regulate something like a stable coin or even like a token. Maybe we are. This is like the solution right here. This is, this is great.
0: We have a patent for it. One thing I noticed, uh, with, with the solution, because it is new. It's revolutionary. Like I want to see the like you know adoption in DeFi, and this is there's a lot of uses for this long term. Like if DeFi is brought into, let's say, a, a mortgage company lending and borrowing, you can have on a decentralized network now, the underwriter approving a loan, and you can have the, the, that be done kind of separation of duties. They'll be able to look at uh, their approval for a certain credit risk or a certain score for a user and then kind of like notarize that, approve it. And then it'll execute, like disperse the loan to somebody. It's like all done without all the shit between it and TradFi uh, that takes forever and is subjective. And, you know, smart contracts can happen instantly, you know, for the users too. If, you know, things meet certain conditions, then that can be done in a secure way now. This is really, really cool. Yep. Thank you. So So like kind of complicated uh, for some people to realize that, but, um, I mean, it's, I I agree. So that's a solution to one of the questions you had back to tie together. And I hope opened, uh, you know, some of the cool innovative technologies, things that we're doing here.
1: I want to open up another door really quick before we end the show more of like on a personal note, everything that we've been talking about now will provide everyone the tools and the resources to be on the offensive. But a lot of the times you have to just constantly play defense. And at the same time, some of the best vulnerabilities that ever been found in the internet that we use today have been found out by like what people call like a gray hat hacker, right? Like someone who's doing something for the sake of good, but has to like do it in a illegal way in order to in order to get there. And unfortunately, through my history, I've met a lot of these people went off the deep end, unfortunately. Like my friend, like I don't Robin even remember is. my friend Weave was a hacker, found a huge vulnerability in AT&T, went to jail for two years, became like a Nazi, got a bit swastika on his forehead because he just went crazy in jail. Aaron Schwartz committed suicide. Yeah, no, no. It's uh did did
0: for that story, uh did he find something and ethically disclose it and then they still prosecuted him or,
1: or no? Every every case is different and I haven't been had the opportunity to like dive deep into, but what I understand about Weave specifically was I think he actually did like send it to at and beforehand or something like that. And he wouldn't have gotten any time, but he, I guess... And I don't know if this is true, but I, he, I guess he told the judge off or something. He said some bad words. So he got like, they put him in mm-hmm. what's called in the federal system, they put him in diesel therapy, which I, I would never wish this. I have, of- lot,
0: I have a lot to say about this topic too. It, it kind of like hits me personally as well. Um, why? Because I think, I think about it every day and I'll tell you why after you. Uh, no, tell me why.
1: Okay. So they,
0: one thing is we are the bears of bad news as well as like white hat hackers. Uh, we have to go, to if we find a vulnerability, we have to convince developers like, hey, your baby's ugly or your code's bad. You have to fix this, you have to invest this much more on here. And a lot of times they they, they don't like that. And if we find something that's not our client, like uh like uh, like the MetaMask one, for example, but approach them like, hey, we found an issue. One is they go through like this stages of grief where it's like one is denial, and then they then they get mad at you for finding it. It's like, don't tell anybody, uh, then they then they go in through like, all the way to like acceptance. And then they hopefully fix the exploit. Sometimes they don't make it all the way to the end and they just get stuck on like the mad or the oh denial. No. And then it's like, what's well, gonna cost this much? Like, oh, you found this. It's because of you, you attacker that you found it. And then that could have been like "We've, you know, this issue, they don't know what to do. So they just lash out at the, you know, kill the messenger essentially. That's one aspect of that.
1: That's what happens. So thank yeah. you for giving uh, all those hackers out there an opportunity to like work for you and, and and be like the gladiators for the industry. That's what I was really kind of getting with that. Yeah. Keep the hats white. You know, gray is a uh, gray is starting to get a you know, darker. That's what the judge <laughs> told me himself. There's no gray area. There's yeah. no. Yeah.
0: It's like Robin Hood, you know, Robin Hood, king of thieves Robin risking for is he doing good or bad? Yes. Yeah. All depends on who you ask. Please.
1: Steve, thanks so much for taking the time and, and coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. We, we, I feel like we covered so many topics.
0: Yeah, I talked all day. Uh, had a pleasure. Nice meeting you, Charlie. Uh hope to be back one day. And Raphael, uh, great to, great to see you. Oh, likewise, it was a great conversation. Thank you, Steve. Yeah.